Hello everyone. Today we discuss chapter 5 and wrap up our series on evangelism. In this chapter, Stiles gives us a lot of good pointers for evangelism, which I hope we can take to heart, though I'm not actually going to talk about most of them today. What I want to focus on today is the topic of perseverance in evangelism, and then also wrap up with some ideas on how we might apply what we've been discussing in this series over the summer in our communities. If you've had a friend or family member on your top five for a while, or if you've been praying and diligently seeking spiritual conversations with somebody over multiple seasons, perhaps over many years, then you likely can relate to Stiles' temptation to give up and quit sharing his faith. I know there are times that I am tempted to quit. But Stiles reminds us that it's not only important for the furtherance of God's kingdom that we should keep at it, but it's also good for our own souls to continue to share the good news of the gospel. I would argue that underlying the temptation to quit are two related false beliefs. First, that evangelism is entirely up to me, and second, that God is not at work in the lives of others simply because we cannot see change happening. I would suggest further then that these two unhealthy and incorrect beliefs then intertwine with an incorrect measure of effectiveness that's based on external results and not our faithfulness. So let's address these things in turn. First, the belief that evangelism is all up to me. Stiles has hinted at this underlying belief a few times, and it's easy to fall into this trap as we talk about all the ways that we go about sharing the gospel. And this short book, as well as our podcast, is full of action-oriented imperatives to go and do and pray and, and share. But we must remember that it is ultimately God who does the work of salvation in people's hearts, through and beyond our imperfect means. In Titus, Paul writes this, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So then, if we know that it is God who is ultimately doing the work of giving a person a new life by regenerating their hearts, then we can trust him to do that work. With that trust in place, we are then freed to share to the best of our ability while asking God to work by his spirit to do that which only he can do in regenerating somebody's heart. This, of course, doesn't negate our effort and our intentionality and the skill that we want to bring, but it highlights the posture of heart that we should have in trusting God with the final results of our efforts. This leads then to the second underlying false belief, that God is not at work in the lives of others because we cannot see change happening. To this point, it's helpful to remember the big picture, where God is at work through all of human history, bringing about all of his children to him. 2 Peter 3, 8-9 says this, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. This passage tells us three very important things as it relates to this second underlying falsehood. First, it tells us that the Lord is actively fulfilling His promises, even if we cannot discern it. 
namely those promises of salvation for his elect and judgment for the world. Second, it tells us that the Lord's timing is ultimately unknown to us, both in his patience towards us and in his bringing about the final day, which will come like a thief in the night. We simply do not know his timing. Third, it shows God's heart that he does not wish that anyone should perish, but that all should reach repentance. This is not saying, as some erroneously conclude, that everyone will ultimately repent and be saved, but simply that it is God's desire that they would all repent, and that his timing, which might look like slowness, is actually patience that allows his children to repent and be sanctified before that final day. So taken together, this should uproot any false belief that God is not at work in the lives of others, even when we cannot see it. Let's also consider then how we measure our efforts. If we looked only at the behavior of others, we might be tempted to count the number of times we've heard someone say that sinner's prayer and feel good if we've led somebody in that prayer. Or we might then conversely feel bad if we haven't led anyone through that individual prayer. I think this measurement is off in two ways. One, we might be tempted to overemphasize the importance of a moment or that specific prayer, rather than a heart-level, ongoing, life-oriented change. Second, we know that conversion is ultimately a work of the Spirit in someone's heart, and so we're not actually measuring in this what we're contributing, but measuring the work of the Spirit who operates as He wills. A potential reaction then to this could be to say, well, let's measure the gradation of heart change. But this too, we realize, is a work of the Spirit and not our own efforts, not to mention it's nearly impossible to quantify. So then another reaction might be to cast off measurement and reflection altogether and simply throw our hands up and quit. Obviously, if it leads us to despair or to quit, we've missed the mark. What then should we measure? While it's harder to quantify than specific actions, I would suggest that we should measure our faithfulness in sharing the gospel. If we look to the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, we read this response from the master, which represents God. He says, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. What's always struck me about this parable is that the exact same commendation is given to the first servant, who had ten talents that produced ten more, and to the second servant, who had five talents that produced five more. This teaches us that the commendation is not based on the objectively quantified end results, but rather the faithfulness of the servant. We see the same principle of personal responsibility and faithfulness in Luke chapter 12, where it says, Everyone to whom much was given, much will be required. So our ultimate measure of evangelism, not as a gift but as a command, is our faithfulness. Have we been faithful to share the good news with those that God has sovereignly put in our lives? Have we been praying for others? We've been seeking to teach them the gospel with the aim to persuade? Again, this is harder to measure and to put into a dashboard, but I think this way of assessing our efforts gets at the root of our responsibility and trust in God for the results. With those in mind, then, let's think and turn our attention towards the summer months ahead. And I want us to consider the ways that we can be leveraging the short and beautiful season for the spreading of God's kingdom through our intentionally seeking to teach others the gospel with the aim to persuade. I see this applied both personally and for our communities. 
Our summer rhythm in community is meant to accomplish a number of things. First and foremost, to give us as the leaders a chance to rest along with our hosts and others. But secondly, to enable our communities to shift focus to somewhat more social and missional efforts. On the personal front, I'd encourage you to take some rest over the summer and allow yourself to slow down enough to enjoy the season. As you do, be praying for your top five and prioritize time together with them. Take advantage of the good weather and attend or host a barbecue or grill out. Perhaps take point on coordinating a day at the park or a hike. On the personal front, basically anything that you like to do, you can make intentionally missional simply by inviting a non-believing friend to join you, praying for them as you do, and seeking an opportunity for a spiritually minded conversation. On the community front, There's also great opportunity over the summer to host events that you can invite others to. For most of my non-believing friends, they're much more willing to come and hang out with me and a bunch of my friends whom they know to be Christian over an informal bonfire or a game night than they are to come to a more regular community gathering where we're studying the Bible. We've had our non-believing friends join us for community campouts, for hikes, for game nights, barbecues, and more. Through these predominantly social events, I can deepen my relationships with my top five folks, and others can also form and deepen meaningful relationships with them as well. When we have a culture of evangelism, the care and intentionality of our community can lead to meaningful spiritual conversations without my specific prompting, and sometimes without my even being present. All of this then creates relational connections and meaningful spiritual conversations that lead our non-believing friends to hear and understand the gospel to meet Christians whom they can grow to love and respect, and to have a safe place for them to bring questions and challenges, things they might be wrestling with. In my five or six years in Seattle, I found that the summer season invites a unique opportunity for us to host and engage in these ways. Of course, we're also operating together as a larger church family, and so we have bigger events that have a lot of the legwork already done, namely our Serve the City event that's coming up on Saturday, July 13th, and our end of summer barbecue that is on Saturday, August 24th. These events serve many purposes, one of which is to be a a great opportunity to simply show up and bring a non-Christian friend. And as you yourself attend these events, you can be on the lookout for folks who are new to seek and share the gospel with the aim to persuade. As you and I do this together, prayerfully asking the Lord to move in the hearts of others, We will, by God's grace, continue to see people come to saving faith in our midst, to God's glory, to their good, and our mutual joy. With that, let's pray. Father, I thank you for the promises you've made to fulfill your purposes of salvation and redemption for all of those who you've called to be adopted as your sons and daughters. I pray that you would give us a deep trust of your strength and goodness that frees us to participate in your work by sharing the gospel with others. I pray that you would use us in this season to see more of your children come to faith. I thank you, Lord, for this series and the reminder that it has been for us to be on the lookout. And I pray that you'd continue to equip us, our head, our hearts, and our hands for faithful evangelism and trusting you with the end results. God, I ask that you would continue to move among us powerfully. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.